For our scripture reading this morning, we are reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. How many of you ever read somebody else's mail? A couple of you. That's what we're reading. We're reading somebody else's mail. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the young pastor, uh, Timothy. And in it, as we saw last week, uh, he emphasized to Timothy the importance of sound doctrine and the dangers of false doctrine and how it is correct biblical doctrine that builds a church with love for God and love for one another. This church is a very loving church. There's a lot of love here. A lot of love for the Lord and for each other. My personal analysis is that you have learned correct doctrine for many years. You have received it in faith. You've believed it and lived it out with a good conscience, and therefore that fruit of love is growing in your life. And I just see that in this church. Uh, But there is a danger that is warned about in this next passage of unsound doctrine. And so let's stand and read these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, contained in 1 Timothy 1, 6-11. I'll read verse 6, and we will read verse 7 together down through verse 11. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching." according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we open Your Word today, may Your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and apply the Word. And may You root out any legalism any weeds of legalism that have been growing in our lives so that the fruit of the Spirit may thrive and prosper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The purpose of the law of God is to point out and condemn sin so that we will trust in Christ, not in our good works, for salvation. If I were to ask you, what is the main message of the Bible? What would you say? Many today would say that 
the main message of the Bible is that people ought to do right. Act properly towards others, love their neighbors, love God, etc. And in society, churches are looked upon favorably because they tend to promote morality, ethics, and decency. Even our tax-exempt status is somewhat related to our value to society. But what is the law really for? What is the proper use of the law of God? In your bulletin today, you will find I have four questions that I will seek to answer from this text. One of the best ways to study the Bible is to read what it says and then think about what questions the text answers. And so today we deal with four questions answered by this text. The first question is this, what kinds of people misuse the law? Well, verse 7 says, they are sincere people, they are ignorant people, and they are confident people. Why would Paul make such a big deal about the law to Timothy? Because I believe that most unsound theology, most false doctrine centers around something we have come to call legalism. Legalism is the misuse of the law of God. The law of God is good if it's used in the right way. But people misuse it. What kinds of people in that day were misusing the law? Well, they were sincere. They desired to be teachers of the law. That's a noble ambition. That is a noble desire. But to hear some Bible teachers, especially in some churches teaching children, you would think that the main message of the Bible is, be good and you'll go to heaven. Now, theoretically, it's true. If you're good, you go to heaven. But you just have to be as good as Jesus. How's that going? How's that going? Theoretically, a person could get to heaven by being good, but they'd have to be as good as God. The problem is not with God's law. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us, that we haven't kept it. That's the problem. But false teachers in, those, in that day were taking the law of God and teaching it as a means of salvation. They were sincere about that. But they were ignorant. It says, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. And that affirm has the idea of confidence. And sometimes these people are so sure of themselves and so self-righteous and so confident that people buy it. I am so grateful that Awana Clubs has sorted this issue out. There's been so much confusing teaching to young children. Awana Club Ministry has sorted out the issue of how you share the gospel with children. It is so important to teach children correctly. And they've gotten it right. The gospel is not about what we do for God. It is about what God has done for us in Christ. That is the good news. The good news is not, be good and you'll go to heaven. That is a false doctrine. It is not true. It is the essence of what we call liberalism and 
legalism, and it is confusion. But many Bible teachers and church teachers are ignorant and sincere and yet confident. Warren Wearsby said it this way, these false teachers did not understand the content or the purpose of God's law. They were leading believers out of the liberty of grace into the bondage of legalism, a tragedy that still occurs today. The flesh, our old nature, loves religious legalism because rules and regulations enable a person to appear holy without really having a change of heart. George W. Bush had a problem with alcoholism, contacted Billy Graham. He and Billy Graham had a walk on the beach. Billy Graham told him he needed to be born again. Didn't it need to just be a church member and believe in God? We need to be born again. Story goes that George W. Bush believed in Christ and was born again, and God gave him victory over slavery to alcohol. He called his mother, Barbara Bush, on the phone and said, Mom, I'm so excited I've been born again. And she didn't know what to think. So she called Billy. <laughs> and he told her, yes, it's good to be a church member. Yes, it's good to believe in God. But yes, you have to be born again. Franklin Graham was sharing that on Fox News this week. It's important. And sometimes you think, you meet good people like Barbara Bush. I've met some people that I had to honestly say to them, they were such good people. I said, you know, if anybody could get to heaven by being good, it would be you. But you know what? Nobody gets to heaven by being good, not even Barbara Bush. Imagine having a husband and a son who were president. It's incredible. But Nicodemus was the teacher of the Jews. He was highly regarded, a moral and ethical man who was held in high regard by the Jewish nation. And yet Jesus said to him, you must be born again. No matter how good you are. I meet people and they say, well, my father was a pastor. You, know? you ever meet those people? And I had perfect attendance in Sunday school. I had a, a, a button that went all down to my knees, you know? Man, perfect attendance. But you know what? That doesn't mean anything when it comes to being saved. In fact, the more proud and self-righteous you are, the harder it is to get saved. Many people are confused today. And legalism is just as rampant today among religious people as it was in the days of Paul and Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, you cannot allow the weeds of legalism to grow in the church at Ephesus. You've got to root it out. You've got to identify it and remove it. It's got to be salvation by grace through faith or it isn't salvation at all. Very important then. Very important now. Dr. John Walvoord from Dallas Seminary wrote on this text, he said, more specifically, the problem with these false teachers, as is often the case, was a matter of the ego. 
They wanted to become respected teachers of the law, yet they were completely incapable of doing so. But instead of recognizing their inadequacies and remaining silent, they went on babbling as if they had great authority, never understanding their subject or even what they were saying about it. So we see that people who misuse the law are sincere, ignorant, and confident, and therefore they are spiritually dangerous. Job's comforters were legalists. When Job lost his children and lost everything and lost his health and was sitting there on the garbage heap, his friends came by and sat with him for a week. They didn't say anything. They were doing good up to that point. Because when they started opening their mouths, giving those long-winded speeches, it came out to the fact that, well... Good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So because bad things have happened to you, you must be a bad guy. That was the gist of their long-winded speeches. They were legalists, as many are today. And many rich and healthy people look on the poor and sick and say, well, they're getting their karma. They're getting what comes to them. How sad it is to be a legalist, to be one who sees the world merely in those terms. What have they failed to understand? Verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. How many of you ever used a screwdriver to pry something? (laughs) How did that go? Yeah, especially it's a cheap screwdriver, you know? It's like, whole thing bends. You say, well, I guess that's not what that tool is for. You know, it's a pry bar. You got to use the right tool for the right job. And he says, the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law, but you've got to use it lawfully. It's only good if it's used lawfully. We are not antinomians. I am not an antinomian. I hope you're not. You say, what's that, Pastor? Well, That means someone who is anti-law. And some people are so much for grace that they deny the reality of God's law. God's law is good. It's right. It's all good. There's nothing wrong with God's law. It's a perfect law. And if people would live by the law, they would be good. But the problem with the law is not with the law. The problem is with us. Paul was not antinomian. He says in Romans 7, 12, therefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Jesus did not come to destroy the law. Matthew 5, 17, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Many people get confused about that. They get so excited about grace that they say, well, the law of God is is no good. They're against the law. No, we believe that the law is good if it is used lawfully. It's kind of like our own constitution. Understand that the nation of Egypt was writing a new constitution. Somebody said, why do they have to write a new constitution? Why don't we give them ours? We're not using it. Um, <laughs> 
founding fathers set up our country with a Supreme Court that was intended to interpret the Constitution, not read into it. Not to find in it things that weren't there. And there are people who are doing that with the Bible today. They take the law of God and they say, well, it does say that that's wrong, but we don't think so. So we're going to reinterpret that. We're going to change it to what we think God should have said if he knew what we know today. Hey, God knows everything. He knows it before it happens. So the job of the Supreme Court is to uphold it and to interpret it, not to read into it and to change it and to add to it. That's not their job. As a pastor, some people say to me, well, I don't really like some of the things that are in the Bible, like that hell thing, you know? I don't like that. I say, I don't like hell either. But, you know, I didn't invent this religion, you know? I didn't write this book. I'm not, my job isn't to rewrite it or to change it. Or, it's just to tell you what's in it and let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. Amen? Just tell it like it is. Interpret it and explain it. God wrote it, and he did it right the first time. Now, what is it that the, these legalistic teachers fail to understand? They fail to understand that the law was not made for a righteous man. The law was not made for a righteous man. So we ask the question, what is a righteous man? A righteous man is one who has had the righteousness of God imputed to his account. That's a righteous man. Because the only really righteous man is Jesus. He's the only one that fulfilled all the demands of the law in its intent, its heart, its surface and depth. Jesus is the righteous man. If through faith in him we are in Christ, then we are declared righteous by God. That's what the word justification means. Romans 3.21 says, Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. God is the one to him who does not work who believe, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Somebody said, how do people get saved in the Old Testament? Same way you get saved. By grace, through faith. So Abraham got saved by grace through faith. He believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. You will only be declared righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by keeping the Ten Commandments or the Eleven Commandments or the 432 Commandments. You will never do it by keeping commandments. You will do it by believing in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. Righteousness cannot be obtained by keeping the law. Paul said about them to the Jews in Romans 10.3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's why it says in Romans 10, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So, 
Paul says, if I, I do not set aside the grace of God, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you could get to heaven by keeping God's moral law, then the death of Christ was unnecessary. But the death of Christ was necessary because none of us have kept the law. So what is the unlawful use of of the law. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. The law of God is not the means of salvation or the rule of life for the believer. The law can be summed up in three phrases. We ought, we haven't, and we can't. The nature of the law includes a penalty, the curse of death for all law breakers. The wages of sin is death. I love what it says in Romans 8.3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So the law was not intended for a righteous man. Today, we have a problem with gun violence in our country. What's the solution? How about more laws? Why don't we just pass a lot more laws? Why don't we restrict law-abiding, loving, decent people? Now, wait a minute. No, the law, the law was not made for the righteous man. The law is required for sinful, hateful, murderous people. What we need to do is to enforce the laws. How sad it is when the laws that are on the books are not enforced. I won't go any further on that, but I think you know where I'm coming from. What is the unlawful use of the law? To help us to earn heaven. Some people are trying to earn a place in heaven by keeping the law of God. So they study the Ten Commandments and they say, okay, that's the deal. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to do those things, and then I'll be good enough. And he says, no. Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Some people use the law to help them win arguments. 1 Timothy 6.3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud. The law will make you proud. Knowing nothing, it'll make you ignorant. But is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. God never intended our knowledge of his Moral laws to be a way for us to win arguments and to argue with people. If a person is not saved and the Holy Spirit is not their teacher indwelling them, don't be surprised if they hold to a lot of weird stuff. It's amazing how much religious nonsense there is by people with PhDs and a lot of high degrees. But when the Holy Spirit is in you and you believe the Bible, you understand that God's law is good and right, but that it never saved anybody. It cannot save. 
And it's not just a matter of winning arguments because a servant of the Lord must not strive. It was never intended to help us to criticize others. The legalists legalists of Jesus' day were called the Pharisees. And uh, they knew the, the, the law of God very well, and they used it to criticize everyone but themselves. And they had an outward religiosity and an outward morality and ethics that enabled them to feel like they were on a higher plane and they could look down on others. Jesus had his strongest language for the Pharisees. He said that they were whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He said that they were a pile of snakes. He used all kinds of rough language to describe the legalists of his day. Under the law, the best man in the world is absolutely condemned, but under the gospel, the worst man can be justified if he will believe in Christ. I love what Dr. McGee wrote on this text. He said, good works cannot produce salvation, but salvation can produce good works. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. So, what is the lawful use of the law? Let's let's get to it. Look at verse 9. But for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. And he names 14 kinds of people who are condemned by the law and some of the worst possible cases. What's the purpose of the law? To show sinners that they are sinful. I believe the law of God is God's x-ray machine. How many of you were ever healed by an x-ray machine? No, x-ray machines don't heal you. In fact, they can harm you if you get too much of it, you know? But they can show you where the problem is. And that's what the law of God does. And that's how we are to use the law of God in evangelism. A man by the name of Ray Comfort has taught an evangelism course called The Way of the Master. It is incredible because in it, he uses the law of God to show people they're sinners. You know, in America, the biggest problem in evangelism is not the matter of sharing the gospel. It is a matter of showing people that they are lost, that they are sinners, and they can't save themselves. So Ray Comfort likes to talk to unsaved people like this. He says to them, did you ever tell a lie? Well, yeah, a little went a white lot. But what does that make you? A liar? You know what the Bible says about liars? The Bible says that liars will burn in hell. Well, have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? You ever used the name of the Lord as a curse word? Well, yeah, but I was really mad. Do you realize that that's a sin of blasphemy? Oh. You ever looked at a person with lust? What does that make you? Jesus said an adulterer at heart. Huh. Did you ever take something that wasn't yours? 
Well, yeah. What does that make you? A stealer? Oh, a thief, yeah. So then he would say to them, so uh, you've admitted to me that you are a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. If you were to stand before God today, do you think that he would let you into heaven or not? Hmm. Never thought of it that way before. A biblical understanding of the law says that we use it lawfully. We do not use the law as a means of salvation. We do not use the law as a means of living the Christian life. But we do use the law to show unsaved people that they are lost and cannot save themselves and are condemned before a holy God. That is the proper use of the law. I hope you use it in your witnessing. Now you have to be nice about it. And you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And you have to let them know that you are also one who has broken God's moral law, that you rightfully deserve to go to hell, and that you're only going to heaven because of the grace of God in Christ, where Jesus died in your place for your sins and rose from the dead for you. That's the gospel as it should be shared. As one young man taught it, he said, you've got to hear the bad news before you'll ever appreciate the good news. And sadly enough, many evangelists today are sharing the good news to people who already think they're good. Most Americans, most surveys show, most Americans think that they're above average morally, And most Americans think they're going to heaven when they die. Yep, most people are pretty convinced that they're better than average and that they're going to heaven when they die. You know, what we have to do in evangelism is to get them lost. I had a friend of mine who was an evangelist. People say to me, how many many did you save on that last trip, Bob? And he'd say, my job isn't to save them, that's God's job. My job is to get them lost. And so my friend Bob Manderson, he preached the law of God. He preached the law of God in order to show people that they are condemned, there is no way out of it, they are lost and cannot save themselves, that they need to be born again. That's what people need. They don't just need a little more church, a little more ethics, a little more morality, a little more mercy, a little more kindness, a little more love. They are lost sinners on their way to hell and they need Jesus to save them because they're drowning in sin. That is what the law shows us. It shows sinners that they are sinful. Paul said that and he was pretty good. You know, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But he said the law nailed him. And he was doing pretty good with the first nine. Paul was really a good guy. But when he got down to number 10, thou shalt not covet, that's the one that slew him. Romans 7, 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all matter of evil desire. 
But apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He said, I was really doing good till God said, thou shalt not covet. And that is a really a tough one because that is a sin of the heart. You can commit it just by wanting something that God doesn't want you to have. Your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's house, whatever. Just wanting it is a sin of covetousness. And Paul said, when I, when I really faced that commandment, I knew that all my law keeping, all my effort at self-righteousness had actually come to nothing. And that's the one that got me. The law was intended to show sinners that God is holy. I worked as an assistant pastor for a number of years with a senior pastor whose name was Pastor Crooks. It's not a great name for a pastor. He said it referred to the shepherd's crook. Pastor Crook. He was not a crook. He was a good guy. The great man. And I had the privilege of serving with him. Very gracious and kind man. And he he said, here's what I want you to sing at my funeral. Only a sinner saved by grace. That was his testimony. God had used him to start two churches to be a blessing to so many people. And yet he said, I want my funeral song to be only a sinner saved by grace. And then the law was given to show sinners that they need the gospel. Galatians 3.24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Yes, the law has a purpose. It is our tutor to bring us to Christ. It's all about Jesus, that we might be justified by faith. Look at verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Sound teaching is always in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And you will never understand any matter of theology until you can rightly relate it to the gospel and to Christ. When you understand any matter of theology, it will be in right proportion and relationship to Christ and the gospel. And he said, I have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel that yes, we are condemned by the law, but we are redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. I had the privilege of attending biblical seminary in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, the founder and president of that seminary was Alan A. McRae, the uh, editor-in-chief of the New Schofield Bible. And uh, there in that chapel, I can still see it, it, were the words, entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel. The gospel is good news, but you will never appreciate the glories of this diamond called the gospel until it is set against the dark and stormy background of the judgment that we deserve for having broken the law of God. Let's bow in prayer. Before I pray, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you have any legalism weeds in the garden of your heart? 
Ask God to root them out. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. That's the Christian testimony. No, I don't base my salvation on anything good that I have ever done or any sin I have ever avoided, but I base it entirely on what Jesus did for me, dying on the cross for my sins and rising again. If you've been trusting in anything except Jesus and his finished work, turn away from that and trust in Jesus alone. Trust him. Trust him completely and trust him only. Has God been speaking to you? And in any other area of your life, just respond to him in faith and obedience. Thank you, Lord, for the x-ray of your law that has shown us our sin and caused us to come to the great physician, Jesus, for the healing cleansing blood which alone can wash away our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us and rising again. Help us never to trust in ourselves, but to trust in Jesus alone. I pray for each one within the sound of my voice today that we would turn away from our own self-righteous keeping of your law and turn only to Jesus and his finished work for salvation in our life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. We just love you and, and uh, so joyful to be here, Lord, in the house of God, Lord. There's no other place we'd rather be. And uh, we ask that you be with each of, each of our families, Lord, all the sick, all the folks that aren't here today, Father. We ask that you bless them and bring them on back next Sunday, even Wednesday night. And, uh, Lord, we just pray for uh, forgiveness for our many sins. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, all that's going on over there in Israel. They're surrounded, Lord, and we just ask that you uh, protect them and direct them, and we know your hand is with them. And, Father, we pray today for the uh, House of Hope there in Clayton and all the, all the young ladies that are in desperate need of help and all the folks there that are helping them throughout uh, the county and the state, Lord. Continue to bless them and help them, Lord. We just love you and thank you so much. Forgive us for our many sins and be with us this week, Lord, and uh, we just ask that you bring us back next uh, Sunday, Lord, praising your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.